Hello and welcome back to Hail Saturn. I'm your host, Catherine Tarpinian. Thank you for listening. I've noticed you guys listening and responding to episode 5, How to Read Your Birth Chart. And so I wanted to expand on that episode, something I did with my husband recently, inspired by the How to Read Your Birth Chart episode, was to go through his chart with him and do a reading where we climbed his dispositor tree, so to speak, starting with the least powerful planet and reading the degree reading associated with it and talking about that planet and what sign and what house in his chart it was placed in, and then reading together the degree reading, and then giving him a moment to kind of meditate on it and think about it, and then have a short little conversation together about what kind of thoughts and reflections the reading was bringing up. And then we moved on to that planet's dispositor in his chart and repeated the process. And so it was kind of like in real time adding these layers that were prioritized in the way that they are in the chart. So seeing you have this placement on its own in your chart and it's answering and relating to this other placement that you have in this way. And then in turn, that placement has a dispositor and is relating to this other part of your chart in this way. We went through his whole dispositor tree that way up until Saturn, which he has in domicile in Aquarius. So Saturn was the final dispositor of the tree. And then he also had a mutual reception between Sun and Jupiter that was outside of the whole dispositor tree dynamic. So we also talked about that and how this really important aspect of his chart, since he has Jupiter as his chart ruler, and then Sun is a very fundamental part of the chart that rules your personality, sort of your character in this lifetime. So he had this beautiful mutual reception, which just to remind you guys, a mutual reception is when planets are in each other's signs. So like they're in each other's rooms, having access to the whole array of one another's tools and having each other on speed dial, just number one on speed dial, ready to work together and collaborate, but having to kind of do it using the other person's set of tools. So having to constantly call that other planet up and say, how do I do this thing that I need to do? How do I do my job with your tools? But they're able to make it work because they have access to each other and each other's stuff. And so it's a very copacetic, cooperative relationship that they have. So he's got a beautiful mutual reception outside of the dispositor tree, which is the rest of the network of planets and their relationships in his chart. And the reading went great, and he ended up getting a ton out of it and helped him to take a step back from challenging situations and understand the complex nuanced dynamics within himself that was kind of creating problems or causing him to avoid certain parts of himself or you know just having awareness of these kinds of dynamics and it's hard to talk about in the abstract but in a reading and when you're looking at your own chart it does become very concrete And I think I will start to use my chart as more of an example of these things so that you can get a sense for what kind of concrete ideas can come from a chart. But I, but I'll have to ask Eli before I tell you guys any more about his chart. But yeah, I hadn't necessarily worked in that exact way or flowed through the chart in that exact way, sort of climbing the dispositor tree, starting from the least empowered planet and then moving up each level of the tree. 
but I really liked working that way and I thought that that reading was really interesting and different from how I would normally go about a reading. So I might try it again and definitely I recommend for you guys, if you have made your dispositor tree, if you've gotten a hold of the book Inside Degrees, go ahead and give it a shot and climb your own dispositor tree and see what kind of realizations and epiphanies it brings to you. So one concept related to dispositors and related to how to read your birth chart that I would be remiss to not go over with you in this episode is the concept of essential dignity, which is what the dispositors are based on. Only planets have essential dignity. It refers to the amount of power that they have in particular signs. So a planet can have a favorable essential dignity where it is in domicile or exalted, or it can have a more difficult and challenging sort of lack of dignity in the sign of its detriment or fall. Domicile, where they're at home. Exaltation, which is a sign that they love and favor and do very well in. And then opposite the domicile, they have their detriment and opposite exaltation they have fall and in detriment and fall these are signs that planets really do not prefer to be in that they don't do well in that are kind of antithetical to the role that they play and the job that they do but they must spend time in these signs because the zodiac is all about balancing forces and bringing opposing and polarized forces into balance and into harmony and so we're constantly seeing the planets thrown into situations where they're very uncomfortable and forced to innovate and adapt and find new ways to work. For all other signs other than the four that I'll mention, or sometimes it's a few more, that's like a neutral placement for the planet, and it's known as peregrine. The planet is peregrine, so it's not being overly challenged and it's not receiving a ton of benefits from being in that sign. It's just, it's just fine and kind of neutral for the planet. So I will run through the essential dignities of the planets quickly, just so you can get a sense of where the planets like to be and where their challenge points are in the zodiac. The sun's domicile is Leo and it has its exaltation in Aries. So the sun's detriment is Aquarius and its fall is Libra. The moon has its domicile in Cancer and its exaltation in Taurus, making its detriment Capricorn and its fall Scorpio. Because remember, signs come in pairs and they're polarities. So the sign of one planet's domicile, that sign's opposite will be that planet's detriment. The sign of a planet's exaltation, that sign's opposite will be that planet's fall. So it's relationships based on pairs of polarities here. When a planet loves being in a sign, it doesn't so much love that sign's opposite. So carrying on, Mercury has a double domicile in Gemini and Virgo and is exalted also in Virgo, making its detriment both Sagittarius and Pisces and its fall also Pisces. So Mercury has a unique condition there of not only having a double ruler, but having one sign be the sign of both its exaltation and domicile, as well as its detriment and fall. So the Pisces-Virgo axis is very important for Mercury. Virgo is an amazingly strong placement for Mercury, and Pisces 
is a placement that will challenge Mercury in a way that creates almost a completely new function for Mercury. Continuing, Venus has its domicile in Taurus and Libra and is exalted in Pisces. And so Venus's detriment is in Aries and Scorpio and its fall is in Virgo. Mars domicile is Aries and it's exalted in Capricorn. So its detriment is in Libra and its fall is in Cancer. Jupiter's domicile is Sagittarius and Pisces and is exalted in Cancer. So its detriment is in Gemini and Virgo and its fall is in Capricorn. Saturn's domicile is Capricorn and Aquarius and it's exalted in Libra. So its detriment is in Cancer and Leo and its fall is in Aries. Uranus has its domicile in Aquarius and is exalted in Scorpio, making its detriment Leo and its fall Taurus. Neptune's domicile is Pisces and it's exalted in Leo, so Neptune's detriment is Virgo and its fall is Aquarius. And finally, Pluto's domicile is Scorpio and it's exalted in Aquarius, making its detriment Taurus and its fall Leo. Just try to memorize the exaltation and domicile, and then you'll be able to figure out what the opposites are from there. Or just think about the planets relating to the signs as axes, and that will help you throughout your astrological practice. I also want to get more into the concept of transits today, because that's really what you'll hear people talking about when you hear people seriously discussing astrology is generally going to be current, upcoming, and past notable transits and how those transits affected them personally or what they observed in our world that they are connecting with those transits. Transits refer to the observable planetary motions that we as astrologers track and measure and compare to our birth charts and the charts of clients we work with. And in fact, everything on earth has a birth chart. And if you know the birth information of a person or entity, then you can use astrology to analyze the past, current, and future potentials of that entity. So your business has a birth chart, just like you have a birth chart, and you can use your company's birth chart similarly to the way that you would use your own birth chart in order to get information about your business, your company, and strengths, challenges, hurdles, talents, gifts, blessings best timing, challenging times, ways that you can work with the energy instead of fighting against the forces that remain unseen around you. You can use astrology to kind of give yourself a little bit of an edge in terms of working with energies instead of against them. So that's, I mean, in the most general sense, how we can use transits on a personal level. Really the next level up after you have figured out what's in your birth chart is to look at the current transits to situate yourself in space-time and figure out what energies are at play right now so that you can move with more ease and grace through them. And then you can also look at your past transits in order to analyze your past experiences. And you might find that during periods of significant struggle or challenge, that your chart tells you that there was a difficult transit happening that impacted your unique chart at that time. And that results in a feeling of what we call astrology good, 
which is where something really negative, painful, traumatic, and difficult is validated and represented in astrology. And we have this moment of, huh, astrology works. That's exactly what I was experiencing. And even though it's a negative experience, it becomes kind of tinged with a positive energy because it validates this practice, which is so rich with potential and offers us so much when we look into it. So astrology good is the validation of astrology as a field and a concept and the way that we see it working in our lives, not just in ways that excite us and make us feel blessed and highly favored, but in ways that humble us and ground us to the reality that the human experience is one of challenge and that through our challenges and our sufferings, we grow. But yeah, if you start working with your own transits and tracking them, I guarantee that you will have your own astrology good moment where something really bad happens in your life and the astrology overhead reflects it and it brings you this very odd sense of peace in knowing what's going on and why it's going on and that it too shall pass and better, brighter transits are sure to come. And for anyone who is interested in learning transits, I do want to remind you about the book Planets in Transit, Life Cycles for Living by Robert Hand. This is the number one resource for literal, practical interpretations of each individual transit. Now, it doesn't have each transit in each sign, so you will have to do a little bit of astrological weaving of concepts yourself, but that is absolutely unavoidable in astrology. You will never find a book that explains what every single interpretation and delineation is. Because the nature of astrology is really permutative, like the order of things is always shifting and different things are prioritized and connecting in different ways with different qualities and attributes emphasized. So it would be physically impossible for any one person to generate the entire scope of astrological delineations and really even for the field we as a field and a collective we are kind of engaged in that practice of trying to delineate all of these different specific positionings and relationships and aspects of planets in signs in aspect to one another so it's kind of an exciting ever evolving field that does require its participants to do a lot of original thinking and make intuitive choices which become educated guesses about what it all could mean and then to observe the reality of events as they unfold and be connecting those real events to the astrology as it happens so that we can learn more and hopefully make more educated and more correct guesses in the future but even still there's a lot missing and it can be difficult to find exactly what you're looking for so you'll want to develop kind of a way of beginning to work with concepts yourself and at least i would say before you look into a book like planets in transit for the answer so to speak i would encourage you to try to come up with your own delineation or interpretation of this combination of point planet sign aspect come up with your own attempt of a delineation and then look it up and see what other astrologers are saying on the matter and where your ideas connect with theirs. 
This book is amazing, and I do absolutely recommend it for anyone learning. But I'll be honest, I've barely read this book, and I almost never use it in my own client work or even in interpreting my own transits. I have it purely as a reference book in case I'm stuck on something or feeling confused. I have a whole library of astrology books for that purpose so that I can look at the chart, come up with my own unique reading of it and unique feel of it and kind of explore it and feel around and pull out themes on my own. And then if I get hung up on something or I feel like there's something calling out that I don't have all the information on this placement right here, I'll go to my library and I'll pull the right book and look into it and try to get something else going, feed my brain, seed my intuition, seed my fertile ground with what other astrologers are saying on the topic. And then I'll go back to the chart and factor that into the holistic chart that I'm reading. So I'm never going to this book, reading the entry and saying, this is what's happening in this transit right now, because it never is. What's written in this book, and this is just one book, right? Planets in Transit. What's written in this book is one astrologer's delineation of transits as he has observed or imagined them. So that's limited. I think it's very important as astrologers, we make a real effort to use our intuition to come up with original delineations for transits, because only in that way can we contribute to the field and flesh out this vast expanse of knowledge that is just tucked, just barely out of sight, you know, just, just begging to be called forth. And people do call it forth all the time, and maybe they will more and more. But yeah, I certainly encourage you to look up aspects, transits, anything that you don't know or that you don't already feel confident in your interpretation of. I absolutely encourage you to look up what other astrologers are saying online about it. There are some really good blogs out there. Astrology King looking at you. Buy some books. I want to give you guys a definitive reading list because I know that some of you guys are buying the books that I'm recommending and I love that for you. The next book I think that you should get, even before Planets in Transit, is Astrology, Karma, and Transformation by Stephen Arroyo. This is going to give you an amazing holistic view of astrology. And this is going to get you right to start reading your own birth chart for real. So get that book, read it all the way through, it'll change your life. Cosmos and Psyche by Richard Tarnas is an incredible book if you're more interested in the larger context of astrology and how it relates and corresponds to patterns of human history. That's Cosmos and Psyche, Intimations of a New Worldview by Richard Tarnas. That one will really blow your mind. Then get an ephemeris. Before you get Planets in Transit, don't buy Planets in Transit before you buy an ephemeris, please. Buy The American Ephemeris, 1950 to 2050 at Midnight by Neil F. Mickelson, Enrique Pottinger. That's it. That's the number one book. I use this book every day, literally every single day. There's no easier way to look up where planets will be. This book is entirely transits. That's all the book is. It's just the astronomical data of where the planets will be from the year 1950 to 2050 at midnight every day for 100 years. I really want 1850 to 1950 and 2050 to 2150 as well. This book, it's just, sometimes it does feel limited, just spanning 100 years, but it's amazing. 
most interesting book I've ever read. And you can look up the Swiss ephemeris tables online for free and scroll through them and search them by year. And that will give you all the same information and everything you need. I do that for years that are outside of 1950 to 2050, but it takes forever. And it's hard to scroll through all those charts and the way that the web pages are laid out, you kind of have to click a lot and it's just not the most intuitive. It's not like flipping through the pages of a book, which is exactly what you're doing with an ephemeris. It's all the same information. They're just tables. The entire book is just tables of each month of each year and where each planet was every day of the month. And so you can easily find specific time periods or specific locations of specific planets. And it's just very easy to do with a paper book form ephemeris. So I do recommend for any serious astrologer, you need an ephemeris for sure. But if you're just dabbling, you can get away with just Googling Swiss ephemeris charts online and just type in the specific year that you're looking for. So delineating transits or even just aspects in your birth chart, it is like math, right? It's like a trine B, a times B, a divided by B, a square B, like that. I don't want to get too one-to-one with it because it's not math, obviously. It's very different from math because it's not numbers that we're multiplying and dividing and, you know, determining the relationships of one another too, but it's vibes that we're interpolating with other vibes. You'll get the hang of it if you put in the work and you have a little patience with yourself and if you're able to take a leap of faith with your own intuition to be brave and make your own delineation and then evaluate it against other astrologers' delineations instead of the other way around. And the reason I'm putting so much emphasis on this point is because the other astrologers whose work you're going to be looking at are not looking at your chart. They are not using the same foundational material to evaluate the qualities of the transits overhead that you will be using. So I'm going to use my own chart as an example here. And the recent Jupiter Kazemi, which took place on April 11th, which was by many astrologers' standards and delineation, the luckiest, most auspicious day of the year. Because it's the one day in the year that the sun connects with Jupiter in the same degree. And this year, it will be happening in Aries, which is where the sun is exalted. I'll come back to what that means in a little bit. But the sun is exalted in Aries, which means it's one of its favorite signs to be in, where it can shine the brightest and do the best work. It's a fire sign. It's the sun of regeneration and the spark of life and the match in the dark that sets off the story of the zodiac. So Aries is an important place. It's the beginning of the zodiac and the beginning of everything. And the sun exalts and does very well in Aries. And Jupiter is the planet of blessings, growth, good fortune, luck, expansion of all kinds. And so when Jupiter connects with the sun in a Kazemi, in the heart of the sun, Jupiter is cleansed by fire and refreshed and regenerated and infused with the power of the sun and the sun's light and is able to expand that light. You might have noticed that 
Well, I don't know where you are, but where I am in New York City, we had a hot spell on the day of the Kazemi, and today is the 13th that I'm recording this, and it was 88 degrees in New York City. I cold plunged outside and sat in the sun in a bikini in April. I can't say I've ever done that in New York City before, but the Jupiter Kazemi took that warmth and light from the sun and amplified it to such a degree that we had summer in April here in New York. And it was beautiful. It also happened to be my birthday on April 10th, which was the day that the Kazemi first entered within one degree of the sun, which is when a Kazemi officially starts. So that happened on the 10th. On the 11th, they conjoined exactly at 21 degrees of Aries and that happens to be the degree of my sun. So this transit tied into my chart in a really personal way, where this energy that was being so amplified by Jupiter is actually the energy of my sun, which is the most inherent energy of my personality and kind of the character that I'm playing in this lifetime is an Aries, a ninth house Aries sun. The ninth house is the natural house of Jupiter, ruling education, higher learning, travel, foreign lands, and also expansion of all kinds, physical, intellectual, spiritual, and so on. Jupiter also rules our belief systems and our morals. And the condition of Jupiter in our charts and also what we find in the ninth house, which sign is on the cusp and what, if any, planets are inside the ninth house, can give us a sense of what our belief systems are and what our relationship to our morals and our belief systems will be over the course of our lifetime. So this was an interesting place for this transit, and at first I was very excited about it. I thought, what a blessing for me. It seemed synchronistic with another auspicious transit that impacted my chart personally, which is the transit that I used to elect the very first episode launch of this podcast. Actually, I heard about the election. It was recommended to me on the astrology podcast by Chris Brennan. So shout out to you, Chris Brennan and Lisa Skyme. But I heard about that election. I looked at where it would fall in my own chart and I thought I have to have that for the beginning of my podcasting career. I need that energy to be in the birth chart of my podcast. And what I noticed about the recommended election is that Jupiter was placed at four degrees Aries, which is where Venus is in my chart. So having Jupiter, the planet of expansion, growth, good fortune, and blessings on top of my Venus, which is the planet of affection, friendship, income and money and just opportunity to connect and generate resources and wealth of all kinds, I had to have it. I felt like I had to take advantage of that auspicious transit to make this dream in my head a reality and give it the most potential for success. Maybe it's a placebo, you know, and even just through placebo effect, I think having that belief that my venture and my endeavor is somehow blessed, it does encourage me to keep going when I may not be receiving the kinds of attention and rewards that people associate with traditional success. I am able to push through and understand that I'm working towards something bigger and opening up divine potentials for myself. And it heartens me in a way that gives me the energy I need to actually create. So I made it happen. I had 
you know, a week or two, I think, to get the first episode together. And I've just been rolling with it ever since, uh, making eps in real time. I'm not banking them. You can probably tell that, but I'm making these episodes every other week for you, talking about life as it happens, as I'm observing it, trying to keep kind of current, but also pull from the past in order to talk about what's happening now and where we're heading in the future. And now, in April on my birthday, I have another auspicious Jupiter transit impacting one of my ninth house placements. And so I definitely felt an anticipation for that, but I'm not really usually the type of person who does a ton of ritual or manifestation associated with different transits or under them because I think I have maybe a humility about it internally and spiritually where I feel like I might be missing something about the transit. It might not be exactly what I think it will be. And so I don't want my own hubris or lack of knowledge to cause me to shoot myself in the foot by using a transit that I don't fully understand or haven't totally thought through to manifest something important to me in my life. So I'm an intuitive person. I manifest when I feel the time is right. I don't usually rush to make things happen for transits, with the exception of that one transit, because it was so auspicious, and I felt intuitively that it was so necessary for me to do this specific thing that I had in mind. And I had already conceptualized the podcast. I had probably been talking about it for maybe three to six months, not sure exactly, but I'd been conceptualizing for a long time. I had wanted to start a podcast, and wanted to talk about my ideas and spread, you know, what I've gained from astrology to anyone who's interested. And so the time just was right for that. And I recognized that I had this idea, I had this project in mind, and the time was right to move forward on it. So I used the transit as an impetus to give myself a push to get somewhere that I really wanted to go before I ever heard of that transit. Now for this one, It was on my birthday, and I didn't have any kind of intuitive feeling about what I should use that day for or that transit for, other than an inkling that I wanted to just have a free day to be creative and work on different art projects, not my podcast, but just across other disciplines to edit some of my vlog and play music and sing and maybe write a little bit of music. And so, yeah, I followed my heart on that when I had a really low-key day leading up to the Kazemi. And I think I did take a step forward of realizing an artistic goal that is, you know, related to publishing and broadcasting. But I didn't force anything. And I feel good about that in hindsight because... Throughout that day on Monday, my birthday, I was like just feeling really sensitive and raw, which maybe some of us feel that way on our birthday. I think, you know, it's a day where you feel really in touch with your mortality. I was thinking about a lot on that day. And now, three days later, thinking about it more, I'm like, oh, duh, this transit wasn't happening in a vacuum. It wasn't just kissing my son. When the transit connected with my son, it activated everything in my chart that my son was connected to by aspect. So notably, my chart has a T-square in it between my sun, my moon in the 12th house, and my Uranus and Neptune conjunction in the 6th. 
So Jupiter was expanding the energy of my T-square, which is a really challenging aspect pattern. It's a lot of tension. It's A T-square is comprised of an opposition, which that exists between my moon in the 12th and my Uranus and Neptune in the 6th. And then that opposition, each side of it squares a third point, and that's my sun. So it makes a T, and it points all of that energy all of that tension gets channeled toward that third point, which is my sun. So the activating point of the T-square was being amplified by Jupiter. So of course I'm feeling the tensions innate to my life and my being on that day. And even though it's the luckiest day of the year, it can still be painful for me. And it makes sense because it's activating painful, challenging energy in my chart. But it's also putting me in touch with that energy, which gives me a push to work harder. The challenges in our chart, the squares and oppositions, that's where the meat of the chart is, where we get to find ways to bring polarities into balance with one another and harmonize the tense aspects of our chart. Trines are easy. Trines are gifts, talents, flows, And I have trines in my chart as well. I have two grand trines. But that T-square, that T-square is what motivates me to get up every day and do what I do. So I did feel more motivated to work toward my goals and to work on things that historically have been hard for me and have really challenged me, but that I feel are so worthwhile. They're why I'm here and they're so difficult that I haven't put in the time and effort to realize them and to get where I'm going. What I want you to take to heart as we head into this eclipse season, remember we have a solar eclipse at the final degree of Aries, 29 Aries, happening tomorrow, April 20th, and another eclipse taking place at 14 degrees of Scorpio on May 5th. And what I want you to take to heart in advance of these eclipses is that good transits can also be bad, and bad transits, I'm using air quotes here, can be good. In astrology, nothing is so black and white. We live in a world of endless nuance, and in reality, it's your perspective on the situation that will make all the difference. Okay, so of course, I'm going to read the degree reading for the degree of the Jupiter Kazemi, 21 degrees of Aries, or because nothing's ever easy, in our book, Aries 22, puppets coming alive at night. The inner worlds can be just as animated, as fully fleshed out, as vivid and vibrant as any outer world could ever hope to match. There are vast kingdoms to explore on the inner. It is all a matter of motivation. If you seek for inward substantiation, you will get it to infinity and beyond. Here you get what you ask for. Everything snowballs. It tests you mightily in that everything inside comes out. A wish like magic becomes embodied. Being so fertile and ingenious is one of the most demanding possible arenas to put yourself in. Most difficult of all is that if you fear or dread, resist or deny, these two have full power to play themselves out all the way. The inner life becomes the place where everything's happening and where you must cultivate your highest and your best or else be treated to the validation and proof of whatever you put in there coming out again amplified, magnified, completely full on. Puppets coming alive at night. That's me, y'all. The degree of my sun 
and the degree of the Jupiter Kazemi. So I feel like I can really speak to you guys from a place of knowledge on this one, which is that thoughts become things. Where you put your attention, that's what manifests and grows. I know this to be true no matter what Jupiter is doing. When Jupiter is far away, not aspecting my sun at all, I still feel that growth and that expansion of whatever I'm paying attention to. I've seen it even for things outside of myself, like just things I pay attention to, they pop up more and more. You know, that's just like, it's the nature of reality and the fact that we are actively creating our experience of reality based on what we put our attention on and what we focus on. And just like last week, I talked about seeding your intuitive fertile ground. You also need to flesh out your inner kingdom and populate it with things that empower you and put you in touch with the beauty and the bounty of human existence. You've been blessed with consciousness and with the ability to imagine. And if you can correctly employ that gift, the world is really your oyster. And Jupiter and the sun are meeting at that degree to remind us of that and shine a light on the expansive and vast potential before us to use our imagination to realize a vision of our own design. Generally, with our complex charts and then the complexity of the planetary motions overhead, we can regularly expect things to occur and shift and to go through cycles and periods which feel radically different from each other. You know, life is always unfolding, progressing forward and creating newness. And the anticipation of that can be terrifying, it can be exciting, nerve-wracking, but most of all, it's so full and ripe with the potential of creation. The next moment is coming now. And so that energy is really Aries energy. And so I feel like I feel so compelled to put that energy forth and emphasize it during my season, Aries season, to kind of advocate for that spark energy, that spark of something new, bringing something really new and original into the world. It can feel scary to do something that hasn't been done before, but honestly, we are all just by stepping into the next moment of time, we are all doing something that has never been done before. So embrace that as part of reality and be more bold, be brave about it, you know, take chances and bring something new into the world. We need innovation and we need not just Aquarius style technological and social innovation, but we need creative innovation as well. We need the vision of what we're living for, what we're doing it all for. I feel like we're losing sight of that and it's fading into the distance quickly and I just want to pull it back, you know? There's a way that we can live on earth and have fulfilling lives and be happy and I want to find it. I know we can. And I like to try to do things to increase my vitality, which the main thing I do for that is regularly compressing my core by going to strenuous Pilates classes, but there's many ways that you can compress your core. I think this is maybe like a medicine, I think this might be a principle in, oh God, forgive me, but maybe Qigong or some type of Chinese medicine. I remember my brother-in-law saying something about it. I'll have to ask him for the real scoop, but something about compressing your core 
kind of harnesses the energy in that space near your diaphragm and your solar plexus, and it really will do wonders for your vitality and your overall well-being and even depression. I feel it's been the best thing that I've done working out and not just working out in like a cardio or, you know, any kind of masochistic, sorry, or just overly challenging way, but in fun ways that prioritize core strength and specifically compressing energy and power into my core. So I celebrated the Jupiter Kazemi with a Pilates class and I took another one today and I think I'm going to take another one tomorrow because I can't get enough. I love the power in my core and what it does for my creativity, my life, and my art. So yeah, if there's one Jupiter Kazemi Aries season ritual I recommend, it's do some Pilates, do some crunches, do some donkey kicks, lay on your back and march your legs up and, you know, just look up a few Pilates exercises, do some roll-ups, roll like a ball, get a Pilates book, or just look up a YouTuber. I mean, there's like so many free videos and stuff online, so Instagram girls, if you type Pilates into Instagram, you're going to find a wealth of information. You could definitely put together a core compression routine for yourself by just doing that on Instagram or YouTube, type in Pilates and just compile like five or maybe 10 different exercises that you like into a routine and start doing it on a regular basis. See what it does for you. It's great for spine health too, which I feel like is really key to overall function as a human being, which I'm still figuring out. I am no pro at functioning, but I have really improved my personal metrics, and here's how I did it with Pilates. Oh yeah, one last thing I do want to tell you guys about in advance is the upcoming Mercury retrograde, and I don't know if I should say sorry about this, but I haven't really been consistently alerting you guys about transits in advance because... I personally don't work ritualistically with transits very often. I will just take them into account and think about them more than anything, but I don't like drastically change what I do for the most part with that one exception of starting this podcast. But apart from that, I don't generally work ritualistically with transits. And so I haven't been setting you guys up to do that, but let me know if you would prefer more advanced notice about transits, and I could definitely try to make that happen. I think Mercury retrograde might actually be the most famous transit, now that I think about it. I feel like it gets the most airplay because it's just such an annoying transit. Mercury retrograde causes breakdowns, delays, and problems in communication, transportation, and technology, so it's very annoying. It usually interrupts our normal scheduling and functioning and causes just irritating delays and problems. So Mercury Retrograde has gained a little bit of a reputation online that I've seen, and we do have one coming up on April 21st. Mercury will be retrograding at 15 degrees of Taurus, which you may remember from the last episode is a degree being impacted by the eclipse coming up on May 5th a lunar eclipse, aka a full moon eclipse. The moon will be at 14 degrees, 52 minutes of Scorpio, opposing the sun, 
nearly at 15 degrees of Taurus, after Mercury has retrograded on this point. So I will say the Mercury station on April 21st, the beginning of the retrograde period, you may be able to get some information or clue as to what will be eclipsed in your life on May 5th. The Mercury retrograde period will last until May 14th, when it will station direct at 5 degrees of Taurus and will make a third pass over that 10 degree stretch of Taurus that it retrograded over. So this is an area of the zodiac that has needed further review and revision, and this Mercury retrograde is a period where we'll be put in touch with what is and is not working, and we'll be able to reorient ourselves and move forward with more information and more organization around that matter. Now, the complicating factor of the eclipse means that some things that are not working for us will be eclipsed and will come to an abrupt end, and that's why we use astrology to understand that that's a necessary period that we're moving through and to have some acceptance over things that we can't control and just do our best to move forward in a way that is beneficial for us and everyone around us. And because the retrograde and the eclipse are impacting Taurus, which rules the financial sector and rules agriculture and hard resources, Taurus is the sign of the earth, so all tangible resources that come from the earth are in Taurus's domain, as well as the markets, commerce, currency, yeah, it's likely to have financial impact. And this is not financial advice, but I will say that investing in hard, tangible assets that are of the earth and are related to real values, if that makes sense, like things that have actual value, like a house that can shelter you, land that you can farm, hard assets like that, that's what's more favorable under the current astrology. And that's all I have to say about that. But, you know, look out, guys. What's BlackRock investing in? Thank you for listening. Rate and review the podcast, please. And thank you. And recommend it to a friend. Hail Saturn is better if you listen with friends. It's better if you have somebody to talk about this stuff with. Otherwise, it'll just keep rattling around your brain forever and drive you crazy until you start podcasting about it. So recommend the pod to a friend. Save yourself. Don't be like me. Study astrology in pairs or groups. It's better with other people, like most things. Life is a social experience, and we live in a society, so don't go through it alone. Phone a friend or hit me up. Call me at 646-543-5017. Leave me a message. Let me know what's up. Ask me a question. Or just book a reading with me on MetroAstrology.com. I offer 15-minute readings, 30-minute readings, and hour-long readings. So whatever you're feeling, I have something for you. And I hope to hear from you soon. But until then, I'll talk to you next time. Bye.